today on Ag News Daily. Next Gen Ag Advocates is really my day-to-day passion. I was founded by two Iowa farmers, just with a concern over uh, what the family farm will look like in the future, who will own and operate our farmland, you know, just helping to transition agriculture in general. Well, hey, listeners, October 12, 2023, here to bring your news this is Tanner and Delaney. Look at that. That rhymed. I'm all over it today. What rhymed? I'm confused. 2023, Tanner and Delaney. I don't know. That's a stretch, but okay. <laughs> oh, it was pretty close. How much rain did you get last night, Delaney? I don't know the answer to that because we don't have a rain gauge up due to all the construction that was going on to our house. Oh, gotcha. I don't think we registered more than a tenth here at our place. Uh, certainly had a little bit last night, but not as much as folks were expecting. We also are no. We also know here in Central Iowa that we've got more potentially coming down the pipe today and tomorrow, more like this evening and tomorrow. We also have red flag warnings in most of the southern plains. Strong winds, low humidity, and dry conditions obviously create perfect red flag or fire warning conditions. Winds in parts of southwestern Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas will be 25 to 35 miles per hour with gusts up to 55. Relative humidity will be below 11%. This will take an effect this afternoon and go all the way through this evening. Tomorrow, parts of Kansas could see winds of up to 60 miles per hour. Damaging winds could blow over trees, vehicles, and unloaded or empty semi-tractor trailers. So pretty severe in uh, as far as wind goes for our friends just south of us. We've got a chance of rain in central Iowa, anticipated to start around the noon hour today and move through most of the afternoon. Nebraska has a system running through most of its state as we sit here currently. Uh, But that's what I've got for weather headlines this morning. I think that sums it up pretty well, Tanner. So I'll keep moving. I didn't respond, but I was like, oh, I should probably just keep going on to some other stories there. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a morning already, isn't it? But anyway, let's keep moving here. So we'll see today's WASD report coming out at 11 a.m. Central Time here. And we already saw, Tanner, that CONAB, the entity that's the Consulting arm similar to the USDA down there in Brazil has already made some output production estimate adjustments for the 23-24 marketing year. They said that Brazilian corn production will plunge while soybean output will surge in this next growing season. Corn output in South America, specifically in the country of Brazil, is projected at a 119.4 million metric tons. And if realized, that would be down pretty substantially compared to this year's 131.9 million metric tons. Soybeans, however, are expected to continue growing at a monstrous rate, Tanner. And a and production a year earlier totaled 154.6 million metric tons and was already considered a monster crop. Conab is now forecasting soybeans for this following year projected at a 162 million metric tons. And of course, they're just now getting these crops planted. 
So time will only tell if weather com- cooperates with them or not. But all in all, that could be a really big crop for Brazil and certainly going to push markets lower if that crop is certainly realized. Yeah, I saw that headline as well. Obviously, an entire growing season will tell that story, but we will keep an eye on that. Animal genetics company called Genis said it has now used gene editing to develop pigs that are resistant to PERS. And this is costly to the hog industry, the virus that runs through and creates mass havoc amongst the animals. The genetics company said that it's now using the gene editing process to move through the approval of hogs that can be edited in order to be resistant to PERS. This company is based out of Britain and has now gotten FDA approval or FDA application filed to enter the United States. The first half of 2024 is when they expect their application to be reviewed. The disease that affects hogs is a costly one to the industry. So this would have a large benefit to those growing the livestock. The animals would be the first gene edited pigs to be sold commercially. And the deliberations will certainly be that in which I'm sure to grab more headlines. We want to act responsibly. We want to be responsible and work closely with all stakeholders throughout the value chain, especially those in the United States. They also have sought approval Delaney in Canada, China, Japan, Mexico, and Brazil, as well as other countries. PERS costs the United States and Europe an estimated $2 billion a year. So that's why this advancement in gene editing, especially for those in the swine industry, is important. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. In late 2020, Delaney, the FDA did approve genetically modified pigs that could be used for human therapeutics, but this would be the first time that if the FDA approves in 2024, a commercially grown genetically edited hog would be approved. Yeah, it's ironic, Tanner, that this story popped up in the headlines this morning. I just recorded a PigX podcast, which is another podcast on the network here, uh, focused specifically on PERS management and PERS outbreak management. So I thought this was a very timely article. And, you know, as we think about PERS, usually there's just certain seasons that we see PERS really impact hog producers. Um, But now we're really starting to see that those seasonal trends are going away. And PERS really is just kind of an always around or starting to become an always around type of disease. So it's going to be interesting to see one, does regulatory approval come forward for this? And also, do producers adopt these genetically modified traits quickly into their genetic lines? So that'll be an interesting story to keep an eye on for sure. But another interesting story we've been keeping our eye on has been the carbon pipelines. We received official word that Navigator CO2 Ventures has voluntarily withdrawn their application for their section of the carbon pipeline in Illinois. They cited that they needed to reevaluate the $3.5 billion project's route and now have pulled out of Iowa and Illinois both. In a motion filed, they expressed their desire to withdraw an application in Illinois 
And they have the intention, they said, to reconsider the permitting process if appropriate once a comprehensive evaluation is completed. The motion requests the suspension of upcoming procedural schedules and hearings until the Commerce Commission reaches a decision on the request. And while Navigator did not directly address the project's future, they did say in a company's statement that with the recent filings in neighboring jurisdictions, they're going to take time to reassess the project's route and application. But of course, they are just one of three carbon pipelines proposed here. The, the bottom line here is that the decision made to withdraw from Illinois adds to just the growing challenges and uncertainties surrounding the carbon capture pipeline project. So it certainly sounds like it's not been an easy road to hoe, Tanner, and we'll see how they move forward after this one. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot of things seem to be working against these companies. Obviously, the other two are continuing to push forward. So we will, I'm sure, have more headlines around those stories coming up. According to a new quarterly report coming from CoBank's Knowledge Exchange, the combination of rising interest rates and the highest rate environment since 2007, as well as a strong U.S. dollar is beginning to hurt rural industries especially agriculture, forest products, mining, and manufacturing. The challenge in these rural industries is that they can't afford to buy U.S. products. Then equity becomes very difficult when working with global markets. When you combine the loss of exports with a general slowdown of the U.S. economy, it makes it difficult to be a business operator in these industries in America. We look at the overall approach. The Fed officials are expected to continue to raise interest rates, not necessarily at the next Fed meeting, but according to the report, they still have a prediction of another half to three quarters of a percent and expect rates to stay higher for longer. As the U.S. economy continues to outperform expectations, they look at other countries such as Europe and China that are beginning to fall behind expectations for their economy, which continues to keep the dollar strong. We historically low water levels that we've been talking about. That was a factor included in their research. We also look at export competition coming from Brazil. They also continue to look at acreage coverage as far as wheat and fertilizer availability. So when you look at a lot of things, Delaney, ending stocks are now 17% below the March peak, but is still not enough to really boost the rural economy. So this quarterly report has not been a very positive one. The previous quarter, Delaney, was more of a neutral, uh, and this is certainly slanted downwards. So we'll continue to keep an eye on the rural economy. And all of these factors we will continue to report upon as we've already been doing. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, one issue that I know you've been really focused on finding headlines about has been the ousting of Kevin McCarthy. On Wednesday afternoon, we saw House Republicans nominate Steve Scalies to be the next speaker in a vote of 113 to 99, which is just a week after the ousting of McCarthy. Uh, Scalise is the second ranking House Republican and the chairman of the Judici uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, to become speaker, he has to win the vote of the majority 
of the entire chamber, which is currently 217. And one question we have now is whether Republicans will coalesce around him in a House floor vote for the speakership. But media is suggesting that he is probably short of the votes he needs there to win Tanner. But for practical purposes, it would be good to have someone in this role fairly quickly to keep the farm bill moving. Because as we saw earlier this week in Iowa, Vilsack was visiting with rural constituents and specifically brought up the farm bill. He was in Lime Springs, Iowa, Tanner. I've got to look up where that even is on the map, but it's a small rural Iowa community, one I've not heard of. Um, But earlier this week, he definitely took some time to talk about the recent actions we've seen with Kevin McCarthy ousted as speaker and also just the continued debate to get the farm bill done. He took some time to criticize efforts of Congress to also cut the USDA's budget and said it's going to be really tricky to get all of the programs done that they have been continuing to use to serve farmers due to some of these budget cuts. Vilsack also suggested that they are not going to see a farm bill pass this year, and they're going to probably have to pass a short-term extension bill at the end of the year or re wreak havoc, which we'll see some potential havoc on farmers. So he was certainly not optimistic in his remarks to rural constituents, Tanner. And he said that he's nervous because a lot of USDA programs are on the chopping block because of the stalled fiscal year 2024 USDA appropriations bill, which failed to pass the House in late September, just before the government shutdown government shutdown was looming there. So all in all, not positive sentiments here coming out of Vilsack. I was seeing some of that as well. I'm glad that you were able to share that. Last I've got is just a couple of Israel headlines to wrap up our news for today. We are now in the sixth day of conflict. Israel is continuing to produce large-scale attacks. They formed an emergency government and war cabinet in the wake of the Hamas surprise attacks on their border communities. We are now looking at nearly 1,300 confirmed deaths, unfortunately. And however, like you reported yesterday, Delaney, over 300,000 reservists have been called up in a huge mobilization of troops. Militants now are holding as many as 150 hostages. Unfortunately, we've seen the number of Americans killed in that area continuing to grow. Airstrikes are what health officials are saying, displacing hundreds of thousands of people. The power station is uh, no longer working. So as reported yesterday, we anticipated they would be without power shortly. U.S. officials state that the there are 22 U.S. citizens that have passed away and more are, continue, are considered to be captured. We'll continue to update on that side of it. But ultimately, Delaney, it looks like both sides are continuing to have immense fire attacks. And it doesn't seem to be something that will end shortly. This, uh, unfortunately, is going to take a little bit of time to resolve. Uh, it does look like some American military weapons have arrived in support. And a couple of aerial strikes were conducted by U.S. forces. So a couple of updates there, but that's what I've got for news today, Delaney. 
I think I am out of news here as well. So let's turn it over here to take a look at the markets and the overnight and see how they are reacting to some of those headlines you just reported on there related to the Israeli Gaza Strip conflict. And it certainly seems that markets ahead of today's Wazdi report are trying to push a little higher. The December corn contract up a half a penny in the overnight at 488 and a half. New crop soybeans are up seven cents in the overnight at 1259 and a half. Hard red December winter wheat up just a half a cent at 667 and three quarters. Chicago wheat in the December contract up a penny and a quarter at 557 and a quarter. And December spring wheat up two pennies at 720 and a quarter. As we take a look at the livestock markets and where they closed yesterday, Tanner, December live cattle added $1.97, opening this morning at a buck eighty-six ninety-seven. November feeder cattle added $1.65, will open this morning at $2.52. And December lean hogs yesterday shed $1.45, will open this morning at $69.97 and a half. Tanner, as we turn things over to today's conversation, we're chatting with a good friend of the podcast, Mike Downey, to talk about some new investment strategies he's been pulling together for farmers. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Tanner, I know that you have had this guest on the Farm for Profit podcast before, and we've had him on the Ag News Daily podcast, but it's been quite some time. So we're super excited today to be joined by Mike Downey, who wears lots of hats, to say the least, but he is probably most well known for his role and his capacity as a farm succession planner. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning. Yes. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Mike, I would love to, for those of our listeners who have not heard your episodes or on the Agnes Daily podcast or the Farm for Profit podcast, talk to us about all the different hats that you wear today. Sure. So yeah, um, Next Gen Ag Advocates is really my day-to-day passion. I was founded by two Iowa farmers, just with a concern over uh, what the family farm will look like in the future who will own and operate our farmland, you know, just helping to transition agriculture in general, quite frankly, to the next generation, which as uh, most of your listeners likely know, uh, a very high percentage is owned by, you know, those that uh, are in an older demographic. Uh, The age of the landowner is the oldest ever in history. So there's just going to be a massive transfer of wealth to occur over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, but really every family farm I work with, you know, certainly tax, estate taxes, transfer, uh, administration costs are a concern, but, you know, as I look at the operations, another one that's probably even more of a concern is just how to support the next generation coming in more and more operations rely from income from off the farm to help the operation. And, uh, I've kind of learned, uh, even diversification is kind of a big buzzword, which led to my wife and I putting together kind of a different um, inner in- entity called Farm Raise. We're building out this farm raised community for those that are interested in just kind of learning and networking together, diversifying uh, maybe outside of agriculture, which uh, I was really surprised how much this has really resonated with uh, those in our industry. So you've mentioned the term community now multiple times. And as you introduced what we wanted to talk about today, 
Can you describe what that farm-raised community looks more like? Yeah, I just we just really envisioned it um, to be, you know, a group of like-minded individuals from our industry that just want to learn to uh, learn about alternative investments, perhaps self-directing portions of your retirement, and uh, just doing that together um, because, uh, you know, we're not personally financial advisors or real estate advisors. And I even talk that in the other side of our business with next gen, I'm not a, a real estate attorney or accountant, but just playing a consultant role, advisory role to help coordinate that quarterback it, if you will. And, uh, cause I think a lot of folks maybe get busy in their day to day, don't have the time. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of what we're doing. We're coordinating that effort, creating the community. We're doing a monthly, uh, meetup now those are actually tomorrow um uh first friday of every month on uh, this topic of passive investing as well as uh, uh kind of a back-to-back -back farm talk friday is more about farm transition and the family farm related topics so uh so that's really how it began and that's you know again just a community we want to build out to learn together Mike, taking a step back, farm-raised capital, like you said there, is about diversifying your income kind of off the farm, which is a unique model. But how did you and your wife get involved in this space? Have you been investing outside of the agricultural space? Yes. Uh, I remember it vividly back in 2008, the uh, significant stock market crash. Um, not that we had a huge nest egg at the time, but you know, at the time, all of my eggs were in one basket, and that was in a 401k in the stock market. But we we also always had a dream of buying our own farm. And we kind of had been at the time setting off some funds for our, we called it all, we kind of called it our down payment uh, fund. And, uh, but then I just kind of realized one day, it just does, doesn't make sense to save, save, save. Your, your monies aren't really earning uh, much for earnings in a, in a savings account. Uh, I know that's a little different today. But anyway, that's when we started asking questions and uh, reading some different books. It kind of stumbled. We kind of stumbled upon more commercial real estate and, you know, the passive income that you can generate, you know, that to help supplement, you know, whatever it is you're doing, your day-to-day -day job, the farm operation. And I would argue... Um, just from a risk standpoint, having some supplemental income so you're not relying on all of the income from one source is maybe a very prudent thing to take a look at. Yeah, that's a good point. As the environment shifts, like you mentioned, where savings wasn't earning as much back a couple of years as it is today, is it still now a good time to look into something like this? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, just, uh, um, you know, this uh, monthly meetup I'm doing as that has grown. I mean, the big buzzword has been diversification. And as a general rule, farmers, and I would even say ag professionals in general are not well diversified. We invest everything into the farm. You know, I, like I said, back in, you know, 15 years ago, I was, I had everything in a 401k. You know, so we've discovered things such as that we can self-direct our IRA. And I think even farm, you know, a lot of the farmers that have uh, 
vested alongside us, you know, this uh, buzzword of diversification, just uh, because, you know, some people would say, well, let's team up and go buy farmland together. You know, we have uh, other groups that do that, even professional athletes that I'm sure your listeners have read and, and heard about. But, you know, as we've talked about that, a lot of the farmers just say, well, if I'm going to buy a farm, Mike, I'm going to just buy one that comes up available that we can farm ourselves. I like the concept of this because it, it's a little diversification, you know, off the farm. So Mike, the community you've been building, you've been hosting these monthly Friday events, as you mentioned, what are some of the common questions you're getting from folks? And is it mostly farmers that are participating in these? Little mix of, uh, of everything from, from farmers to just ag professionals in general. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, the questions, I mean, for the most part, they, they know farms and they may have a some type of an IRA or a SEP IRA, you know, so a lot of the questions are, you know, number one, you know, what are alternative investment options? You know, how do you even go about to do that? And uh, what's, what's the best way? And that's, you know, that's, what's been fun kind of just, you know, this isn't something we ever dreamed of be do of doing or coordinating. We've kind of put ourselves out in a little bit of a uncomfortable zone, if you will, but uh, you know, it seems to be uh, a need out there and a lot of questions are certainly being asked, you know, self-directing IRAs for, for is a common one that a lot of people don't even realize you can do. So. So as you look through listeners that may be interested in this and come to you, how do you identify what investments you make? Great question. You know, and cause I would say, uh, it's one thing for my wife and I to invest ourselves, uh, over the last, 10, 15 years, but now all of a sudden, you know, the thought of putting these in front of other people to look at it, uh, you know, again, isn't necessarily most comfortable for us, but it's actually forced us to be maybe even a better, you know, vetting these different opportunities if we are going to do that. And uh, certainly encourage everybody to do their own vetting and due diligence, you know, because they might see things that we haven't. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's any secret that the asset class that we like is real estate it, long-term it's farmland. Um, that's the legacy we want to leave for our children. Uh, but in the meantime, to help us get there to, in a position to do that, um, the asset class that we like the best is uh, real estate, but in the form of commercial real estate, you know, uh, multifamily properties, you know, even self-storage facilities, uh, as you really look at past recessions these are all asset classes that have held up well in those types um, of cycles and everybody uh, needs a place to live and uh, it seems like once people store their stuff it's out of sight and out of mind so uh, that's the asset class that we like but certainly there's others that, that are available to invest in you know just to name a few uh, you know oil and gas um crypto currency you can even invest in notes uh private lending is one that we're taking a look at maybe creating a, a fund an agricultural fund for folks you know just uh, would offer a little bit more liquidity um short term but you know to do some private lending and at the same time maybe uh provide that to folks that need some help and that would be pretty neat to to set something up like that 
Well, Mike, it's certainly been interesting to learn a little bit more about the community that you've helped to put together here. So if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about your community or joining it for themselves, what's the best place to find some more information? I'd say the best way, uh, best place is our website, farmraisedcapital.com. And under resources, we have a link to join that uh, monthly meetup. Um, or if they just, you know, there's tons of resources uh, uh, available for folks if they want to learn more about it. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks again for having me. We appreciate people like Mike thinking outside of the box for our friends in agriculture. Great conversation, listeners. If you have more people like that that you think we should interview or talk to, make sure you reach out. Let us know through social media or send us a message. We'd appreciate all of your suggestions. But for today, Delaney, what do you say? Should we let him go? Let's let him go.